Good afternoon and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition. I am Jeff Smelser and I am in Exton, Pennsylvania, and I am joined by the full complement of colleagues today. Uh, Drew DeGrado behind the scenes and on camera today are Chase Byers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and Joe Works in Elmira, New York. Good afternoon, guys. Hey, Jeff. Afternoon. So we're going to talk about uh, tongue speaking today. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what the Bible says about tongue speaking, and let's be sure and talk, first of all, just about what, what, what does even this means, tongues, speaking in tongues. Let's just start there, because not everybody understands that. What would you do? If I came to you, Joe, Chase, and I said, uh, in my church, we speak in tongues, and um, you got the impression that maybe what we were talking about wasn't the same thing as in the Bible. We probably ask what language you speak in, and and why? Because maybe maybe what we do in my church is we kind of just make a lot of sounds. You know, we kind of let loose and our tongues go, and we make a lot of kind of a lot of consonants and a lot of sounds, and we imagine that maybe it might be some angelic language. We might be talking like angels or something. Uh, what would you say about that? Well, I would say that if you're speaking a language that you don't know or that nobody else knows, um, uh, there's not an interpreter, uh, then that's forbidden. Um, and that we don't have any examples of people speaking in the tongues of angels and so forth. Um, there's a passage in the in First Corinthians that talks about if I spoke, uh, Paul says, uh, if I spoke with the tongues of angels. Um, but in that uh, conditional statement, it seems pretty clear that he's not doing all of the other things that are listed there. He wasn't yeah. giving his body and so forth. Uh, yeah. Burn. Yeah. So, so we'll, let's talk about that in just a minute. Let's come back to that passage that you're talking about in First Corinthians 13. Let's first of all, maybe let's just start with Acts 2, where we have people speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost, the first time the gospel is preached. And um, verse 4, it says, they were all filled with Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Other tongues would be other tongues other than their own. And he's using the word tongue here in the sense of language, and we do that today. We say, my mother tongue is English, um, and so tongues is languages. And then it says in verse 5, there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So there's these Jews from other places and when the sound was heard, the multitude came together and were confounded because there, every man heard them speaking in his own language. So if I were from Persia, um, where maybe they spake um, Farsi or Persian, as it might have been called back then, or however they called it, and here I come to Jerusalem, and there are these apostles up there, and they're speaking in other tongues other than their own, and I hear them speaking in my language, my Persian language. And so that's what they were doing. And then it says in verse 8, they said, how hear we every man in our own language wherein we were born. So this first example of tongue speaking, it's clearly talking about human languages. Is that pretty clear? Yeah, I think that's a good contextual answer on what a tongue actually is. And uh, also just in Greek, isn't the Greek word for tongue, is it glosses, uh, Jeff? Glo sorry, glosse. Oh, man. I had a, my Greek instructor, you can take it up with him. But yeah. I'll tell you, what, what you hear in that word is glossary, right? That's where we get our English word for glossary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 
So again, it, it's not anything, you know, abstract or something that's out there, just random gibberish, but the, these are real words. I also just wanted to kind of go back to that first question you asked as we were opening up, just like, well, we get these questions a lot. What kind of churches? I also just want to say, normally people who are in churches like this that are talking about speaking in tongues, they're normally churches that put a big reliance on the Holy Spirit. Like when someone comes and talks to me about that, one of the next things they want to talk about is, like, yeah, the Spirit was really moving through us. And I think it's appropriate for you to take us to Acts 2, because it's also rooted in what was happening in Acts 2, that people believe, right. you know, speaking in tongues um, means that the Holy Spirit is moving in and around them. So yeah. for what that's worth, I think those two things go hand in hand. But but I think it is helpful to point out that this was a work of the Holy Spirit. They were filled, you know, it, it, this is talking about the Holy Spirit coming upon these people, and thus they were able to speak in these languages. So this is a case where exactly. they're speaking in other languages, but it's not because they went to school and learned it. It's not because they did Duolingo or what some of the other computer programs that people get. I don't Rosetta remember. Stone. Rosetta Stone. You know, it's, that's not it. They Babel are is a big one right by now. the Holy Spirit speaking all these languages. So Joe, the passage you were talking about is one that people think of in 1 Corinthians 13. And the overall context there, of course, is um, about the spiritual gifts and and their place and how to use them. But in 1 Corinthians 13 in particular, his point is to say, you know, there's something more important than these spiritual gifts, even more important than speaking in tongues, and, and that's love. And we're going to come back to 1 Corinthians 13 in a moment because it's going to answer a question we want to talk about, and that is when they did speak in tongues, how long were, was this supposed to go on? Are we supposed to expect we still speak in tongues today, or is that just the first century thing? And um, but but what he's saying in chapter 13 is love is more important than this ability to speak in tongues or anything else. And as he makes that point, he says in verse one, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And then he's also talking about the gift of prophecy, which goes hand in hand with the speaking in tongues. And Joe, you pointed out, he gives some other examples besides speaking in tongues. This is one of them. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. So clearly what he's doing here, the prophets didn't have all knowledge. We have one prophet might reveal one thing and another prophet might get another revelation. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians 14, but he's giving the, the extreme example. Even if you had this extreme example, then, you, and you don't have love, well, you, you've missed it. And so with the tongues of angels, that's not meant to say normally they spoke with tongues of angels, is to say that would be like the extreme. So I think that's what you were getting at, Joe. More yeah, and, and you would think, uh, I, I don't. I think that what he's speaking there is in an extreme uh, hyperbole or whatever. Um, but you know, if if there is such a thing as a tongue of angels that men could speak, that would be the ultimate. Then, according to this passage, the only yeah. passage I know that speaks in this way. And so you would think that if there are people who are speaking in the tongues of angels, we would also run across a lot of other people who are speaking in normal languages around the world that they had never studied in before. If they have the extreme, then surely there are some people in those churches that also speak Japanese, Chinese, Russian, Portuguese, you know, Italian, yeah. whatever, without having studied those. But to date, I've never met anybody who claimed to speak in a tongue of man, no. only in the tongue of angels. Yeah, yeah. 
So, so just thinking about the difference between what we read in the Bible and what gets practiced in churches today, one difference is people today are speaking what sounds like nonsense, and they may say it's some kind of heavenly language, but in the Bible, they were speaking languages that were human languages and could be translated and were not nonsense. Ironically mm -hmm. enough, even angels, when they spoke on earth, spoke in human languages. Ironically yes, enough. This is true. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about those people who did speak in tongues uh, in the New Testament. Um, there are a couple of different ways that we see that happening. And so I, you know, in the notes that I put on screen for us ahead of time, I said method and then put an S in parenthesis, because that actually, there are a couple of different scenarios whereby somebody could have the ability to speak in tongues, are there not? Yeah, so if you just take Acts 2 right there, uh, that we were in a, a mo few moments ago, to me, it doesn't so much seem as, uh, like for instance, in First, first Corinthians, when someone is reading, or excuse me, when someone is speaking in a tongue, they're imparting some kind of knowledge that maybe previously wasn't known, a, a revelation from God. In Acts chapter 2, it's a, it is a revelation from God, but the apostles are preaching about Jesus in tongues um, so that everyone understands the message. So I, I personally see kind of two different things there. Number one, in Acts, they're speaking in tongues so that people can understand them, but in first and second Corinthians, or sorry, in first Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, they're speaking in tongues to impart knowledge of some kind, as long as there's an interpreter there. You guys yeah. see what I'm saying? I think there's a distinction in there. Okay. So you're, you're talking about what's imparted by means of speaking in tongues. Um, right. What, what I'm asking about is how was the gift imparted in the first place? How did somebody get the ability to speak in tongues? If you didn't go oh. from the Holy okay. Spirit, and there's a couple of different scenarios for that, are there not? Yeah, so you can be given this ability from Jesus himself, uh, like the apostles were in Acts 2, or the Holy Spirit, I guess, gave it to them directly. Um, but then you're also going to see gifts of the Holy Spirit laid on by the apostles' hands in the New Testament as well. How many times in the Bible do we see somebody uh, speaking in tongues without the apostles laying hands on them? How many times do we see somebody just being overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit, so they speak in tongues, they've just got this gift directly from heaven? How many times do we see that? I, I would, you mean, you I would, mean like the apostles in Acts 2? Yeah, that would be one. I would, I would go for that as a one. Yeah. And, and then Cornelius in Acts 10, maybe? And I okay. Cornelius in Acts 10. <laughs> go okay. ahead. I thought, you meant, I thought you meant like how many people outside of the apostles do we see just get an overwhelming feeling and just start speaking in tongues? Is that what you were talking about? What we have here is a failure to communicate. <laughs> <laughs> or a failure to listen on my part. Uh um yeah no that's right so okay but let's talk about those two occasions hey maybe my problem is i'm speaking in tongues um so so we have in acts 2 on the day of pentecost we have the holy spirit just comes upon these people and they speak in tongues and in acts 10 and 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 it and actually joe chase you may got may, may see something different but i actually see peter i think i see peter connecting those two events as um unusual events when peter describes what happened when he was preaching to the household of cornelius he describes that in chapter 11 
he says in verse 17, if then God gave unto them, talking about Cornelius and his household and his friends, the like gift as he did also unto us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I could withstand God? I think when he says gave unto them the like gift as he did unto us, he's referring back to Acts chapter 2. I would take that when we believed as on us who had believed on the Lord Jesus, but he's referring back to Acts 2. And so he's kind of singling out those two occasions, this one that he was just involved in with the household of Cornelius and the one back on the day of Pentecost, which he was also involved in. And then you also I think what have... confirmed, go, go ahead, Jason. Go ahead. No, you, you do. Well, I, we might we might even be saying the same thing. In chapter eleven, verse fifteen, he says, "As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them, just as on us at the beginning." Yeah, so yeah I think yeah. I think that just further establishes your point. Uh, yeah, and then Acts fifteen eight. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. Right, right, right. So, so the takeaway from this is there were two occasions. One is the beginning of the church in Acts two. And the other is the beginning of Gentiles' admission into the kingdom in Acts 10. In both those two occasions, there was a spontaneous outpouring of the Holy Spirit such that people just began speaking in tongues without any human intermediary, any human agency giving them the gift. But what we see otherwise is people having this ability and, and some other spiritual gifts by the laying on of the apostles' hands. If I could, let me, let's go to about four passages here. Let's go to Acts 19, and let's go to um, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, and I'm trying to think right now. I think it's his Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, and let's go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 11, and let's go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 18. Let's go to those four passages, and I'll start with Acts chapter 19. What we have here is Paul coming to a city uh, Ephesus, and he thinks he finds some believers there. They are described as disciples, so he wants to give them some spiritual gift. He wants to, he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? And they haven't heard of the Holy Spirit, so he says, well, what were you baptized into then? And they say, John's baptism, so he explains, you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus, so they are, and after Paul baptizes them, it says in verse 6, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So here we've got it. He lays his hands on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. You guys, one of you guys want to go one of the other passages there? Yeah, Second Timothy. Go ahead, Joe. Second Timothy one. Are you talking about verse six, maybe? Yeah. Uh, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Yeah, through the laying on by means of the laying on of my hands. Uh, in another passage, he'll talk about with laying on the presbyter's hands, but that's a different idea. That's not by means of, that's in accompaniment with. Here, it's by means of, through the laying on of my hands, you've got a gift in you. Now, it doesn't specify speaking in tongues here, but it is talking about spiritual gift that Timothy has, um, and it's through the laying on of an apostle's hands. Um, in Romans 1.11, Paul doesn't mention specifically speaking in tongues or laying on of hands, but here's Paul, an apostle. He wants to go to Rome and impart unto them some spiritual gift. Nope. Uh, so I got a different take on that one, if I may. Yeah, you um, may. Uh, so just to read the, the verse, uh, Romans 1, 11, 
for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. In and of itself, that very well could be him imparting spiritual gifts to the Christians in Rome. When we get to Romans 12, they already have gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, or at least so it appears to me. Um, uh, Romans 12 and verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them and prophesy. The prophecy loves prophesying to force of faith and so on. Um, so in those gifts, he includes at least prophecy there. So here's my take on Romans 1, 11, and, and I suspect I'm in the minority on this, and that's I'm kind of comfortable. I'm, I'll find myself there often. Uh, I think what he's talking about is uh, encouragement. The next verse, which I, I would think that if I was encouraging you and you were encouraging me, I would call that a spiritual gift. Um, not a miraculous gift, but a spiritual gift. And so the, the New King James, and maybe other translations don't bear this out, and certainly you would know the Greek better than I, uh, so that you may be established the end of verse 11, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you and by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Um, so I, I take the spiritual gift as he wants to go there and build them up spiritually, encouraging them. Um, Feel free to shoot holes all over that. Uh, no, no, that's fine. I, yeah, I do. I do think, even though they had spiritual gifts like the gift of prophecy, I do take Romans one eleven to be saying, "I, I want to go and give you some spiritual gifts too." But that's fine. I, I think you know whether whether we have Romans one eleven as talk about this or not, we clearly see the other passages we've looked at in Acts nineteen and in Second right. Timothy one. This impartation by the apostles' hands of of these gifts, and specifically speaking in tongues in Acts nineteen. So then we go to Acts 8, and what do we see in Acts 8? Yeah, so uh, really awesome things have been going on in Samaria. Um, a lot of people have been baptized. Uh, Philip has been doing a good bit of work there. And is it? it's John and Peter, right, who hear about this, and uh, they get sent down there to impart the Holy Spirit. So it says, uh, here, Acts 8, verse um, 16, um, or verse 15 for context. After they went down there, they prayed for them so the Samaritans might receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet come down on any of them, and they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Uh, when Simon, the sorcerer, the one that had just been baptized, saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Phil so context is, is pretty clear that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are being passed on by the apostles' hands. Simon tried to buy it. He knew he wasn't going to be able to get it from any other means but by the apostles' hands. Yeah, and you may have said this, but, you know, Philip was the one who had first been preaching there, and he had spiritual gifts, but he was not able to pass them on. They had to have apostles, Peter and John, come from Jerusalem to lay hands on the people and give them the spiritual gifts. I'm not disagreeing with you, but you can help me. Where, where does it say Philip had spiritual gifts? If you go back, and it doesn't use the term spiritual gifts, but boy, you guys are you guys are a hard lot today. Okay. <laughs> in Acts chapter... He was doing miracles in, in the text. Yeah. yeah. Verse Sorry, six. In chapter, oh, chapter six, verse six. Yeah. No, chapter eight, six, verse, verse six and seven. Eight, verse six and seven. When they heard and saw the signs which he did, for from many of those that had unclean spirits, they came out crying with loud voice and so on. So he's doing miracles. Uh, the spiritual gifts included the gifts of healing and, and so on. So I would take that to say 
he had spiritual gifts. Oh, okay. I guess I was looking back when he was selected as a servant and it says they stood him before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So I, I take that laying of hands on as appointing them. Um, oh, again, the same way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the phrase I laying see. on of hands is used in what, like four different ways. I'm trying to remember. Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13. Yeah. So you, you lay a hands on somebody to approve of them. You can lay hands on somebody to arrest them. You can lay hands on them to give them the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's three. That, is there another one that I'm forgetting? You, you're probably including First Timothy 5. And what is it? Verse 20, verse 22, where it says, oh. lay hands on no man hastily. Right. And whether that means adversarially or whether that means affirmatively is a debate i guess but right but in acts they laid hands on paul and silas to arrest them uh yeah. those one i think of yeah so 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 what do we have then what do we have is in spite of you know, some uncertainties about various things what we do see is a pattern that paints a picture of apostles as they went about preaching the word and being witnesses of the resurrection being able to tell people i've seen jesus raised from the dead and, and they themselves had the ability to do miracles, which was necessary so that, I mean, if you're walking into some town where nobody knows you and you go around saying there was some guy who was crucified and he was raised from the dead, unless you can do a miracle to back that up, people are going to think you're a nut. And so obviously they have that power, but they also, as they make disciples or as they encounter disciples, one of the functions of the apostles appears to have been to lay hands on people and give them these gifts, including the ability to speak in tongues. And we might just take a take a minute to say, why did the people that were being converted, why did they need to speak in tongues? They didn't have God's word in a written form, the, the New Testament in written form. So they needed to be able to communicate what God's will was when there weren't apostles around, for example. So you're saying then somebody speaking in tongues could communicate God's word, even though what these people were speaking in was just a bunch of nonsensical consonants? Uh, no, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so they weren't speaking nonsensical consonants. Actually, what they were speaking was something that either the person they were speaking to spoke that language and could understand it, or there was a translator, somebody who could interpret the language and tell them what was said. They could actually learn something about the will of God. And and yep. and if uh, if you're doing that in a way where it's obvious you're speaking a language you've never studied, uh, that would be an impressive sign that God must be with you. So it would both be a means of revealing God's word and then confirming that the word that you're speaking is actually not your own, but from God. So we yeah, have so, a passage. And, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, sir. So we have a passage in Hebrews chapter uh, two, and it's in verse four, where it talks about those who first preached the gospel. What they were saying was confirmed. Verse four says, God also bearing witness with them, both by signs and wonders and by manifold powers and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. We saw earlier, Joe, you mentioned Acts 15, where God bore witness by giving the Holy Spirit to the household of Cornelius. Here, it talks about God bearing witness by means of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that people who preach the word had. So one of the purposes of these gifts, including speaking in tongues, was 
as a sign that this messenger is actually from God. He's got a power from God. And secondly, as you pointed out, to then actually communicate God's word. He didn't have a Bible he could carry to look up what, what he should be teaching. So he had re revelation from God. So that, that brings us to, yeah, Chase. So I, I think you're about to go there. Are you about to start talking about the specific uh, rules that Paul will give in, in chapter 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians? Yeah, that's fine. We, let's remind our audience, we are going to get around to the question of uh, how, what, for what era was this gift to persist? Was this something that God intended for Christians all throughout time to have? Or was this something that fulfilled a purpose for a particular time? And, and what does the Bible say about that? But first, let's talk about what you were bringing up, Chase. Yeah, so I just, I just want to make a simple point. It's in Hebrews chapter six. So one of the things we've been establishing so far is that all the early churches have these gifts. Uh, a lot of them do. Um, Paul in uh, there in Ephesus, whenever he's writing to Timothy, Timothy will have these gifts. Um, it's talked about in Corinth, obviously. It's talked about possibly in Romans. A lot of these early churches have these gifts. And so it shouldn't be surprising in, in Hebrews 6, he talks about not, he, he doesn't want to lay again the foundation, foundational principles, the elementary teachings about Christ, but he kind of gives a list of what those principles are, those elementary principles, and included in that in verse 1 is the laying on of hands. I, I think that's a reference to the laying on of hands of spiritual gifts, and all that is encompassed with that, the, the interpretations and making sure you're doing it in a way that isn't going to be confusing whenever non-Christians or unbelievers walk into your assembly. All of the rules that come with having spiritual gifts are part of the elementary principles of Christianity up until this point, because there is no written word. Um, so for what's that worth, you guys can be pushed back on that. I think that's what's going on in chapter six, one and two of Hebrews. But um, if they could nail down what this was in the first century, I think we can nail down what this is too. Let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the two topics remaining. How long did God intend for these gifts to be used in on earth in the kingdom of God? And then let's talk a little bit about when they had them in the first century um, in as far as their use in the assemblies of God's people. What were the what were the rules for using them? Let's let's go ahead and turn our attention now to just how long were these to be around? And I would just point out, based on what we've said so far, we've said two things. We've said that the way they were communicated, other than at the beginning of the church and the beginning of Gentiles' uh, inclusion, the way these gifts were imparted was through the laying on of the apostles' hands. Well, we don't have apostles on earth today. Well, you, you might say, well, God could come up with another way. And yes, he absolutely could. I don't think any of the three of us doubt that if God wanted to, he could give Chase the ability to lay hands on us and, and give us the gift of the Holy Spirit and give us the ability to speak in tongues. Would we agree with that? If God wanted to, he could do that? All things are possible. Yes. But what the Bible talks about is the way God did it was through the laying on of the apostles' hands. And then when we pay attention to the other thing that we've been saying, the function of these gifts, the speaking in tongues, the prophesying, the healing, all of that was twofold. It was to communicate God's word 
at a time when it had not all been communicated and put in writing. So if you were Philip going to Samaria and you're going to preach the gospel to people there, you needed to know what to preach. And you didn't have a New Testament, hadn't been written yet. And secondly, these signs, these gifts were intended to confirm that your message was from God. You weren't just making it up. And so if you're Philip going to Samaria and you're going to be claiming that there was a guy named Jesus and he was crucified and he's been raised from the dead and he's the Messiah. Well, you're going to need to be able to back that up that you didn't just make that up, that that's actually from God. And so if you could do a miracle, if you could speak in their language miraculously, um, any of those kinds of things, that's going to help confirm that your message is from God. So, so what we're saying then is these gifts were necessary for a period of time when the word was not available, all put in writing, and secondly, at a time when people didn't have that word to point to, to say, I'm not making it up, this is from God, and that's a period of time that roughly coincides with the time the apostles were on earth laying on hands, and so what that really kind of points to is when, when the apostles died out and weren't laying hands on people anymore, it's not like God's up in heaven saying, oh no, how am I going to give all these gifts to these people after the apostles have all died out? Because God's purposes for these gifts have actually been satisfied at that point. The word has been completely revealed and put in writing and is spreading throughout the world so that people have the ability to say, I didn't make this up. See here, it's God's word. And secondly, um, I, I don't have to have a direct revelation to know what God's will is. It's it's right here. Does that make sense? Is anything wrong with that thinking? No, I, I think it's, that makes perfect sense. Uh, it's beautiful the way that God has uh, provided for his word. Um, first to the apostles, then through the next generation of Timothy and Titus's and so forth, and Philip's and Stephen's. Well, Stephen, not, but... Um, uh, and then, yeah, as you said, that 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 timing, then the the scriptures, the letters of the New Testament were being widely circulated by the end of that time. Now, you, you may disagree with the next thing I'm going to say. I don't know, but it seems to me that we don't we're not left just to make that inference to draw that conclusion based on those two things. We're actually told in First Corinthians 13 that the tongues were temporary, and we are told when they would cease. So let's go take a look at 1 Corinthians 13. And I am, I guess I am there. So so this is this context we were talking about a moment ago, where Paul is talking about spiritual gifts, and, and just kind of big picture in chapter 12, he says, starting in verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, and his point in chapter 12 is largely that there's different gifts, but they're all from one spirit, and um, they're all important, even though they're not all the same. And so you'll find tongue speaking mentioned in particular in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10, along with another gift, the interpretation of tongues. So Joe might speak in a tongue. Um, that's just not, this is not by the Holy Spirit. This is because you went to school and learned this or somehow learned this. Give us the phrase you gave us a, a few minutes ago before we start the program. It was so philandering linguist. I thought I understood what you said when you said it before. 
but I, I was going to be the interpreter, but now I'm going out on a limb and I think you changed it or else I didn't hear what uh, I thought I heard. Say it again. Uh, in oh, I'm speaking in a language. Okay. So I would be the interpreter. You'd be speaking in a tongue and then I would be the interpreter. So you see those gifts here where people could do those things by means of the power of the Holy Spirit. Whereas what, what Joe and I are doing, Joe has learned how to speak Portuguese. Um, and I don't remember how you learned it, but you learned it in part living down there right. in, in Brazil. And I am listening to what he's saying. And because there's some similarity between Portuguese and Spanish, I'm, I'm picking up on what he's saying that way because I've gone to school to try to learn Spanish. And for 50 years, I've been trying and never have gotten there very well. But anyway, anyway. So, so, all right, so those are among the gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, and I'm wasting time here. We get to chapter 13, and after he said all the gifts are important, and you start to get the impression that in the church at Corinth, it was actually a problem where people were clamoring for certain gifts as opposed to others for all the wrong reasons, and apparently, especially tongue speaking especially they seem to be hung up on wanting to speak in tongues. It's a very showy thing, I'm sure, if you have this ability just to speak in all these different languages. And so in chapter 13, his point is love's more important than all of them. And as he makes that point, he gives several reasons why love is more important than the spiritual gifts. And one of the reasons has to do with duration. And so let's read. Um, one of you guys, you want to read starting in verse 8. And read verse 8 through, oh, let's go 8 through 10. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. So he, he mentions prophecies, and he mentions tongues, and he mentions knowledge. And he, he mentions those as examples of things that are going to cease, be done away. Um, and all of those things are mentioned back in chapter 12 as special gifts of the Spirit. Back in chapter 12 and verse 8, there's a word of knowledge that is given by the Spirit. And in chapter uh, 10, or chapter 12, verse 10, there's the speaking in tongues. And where is the prophesying? Well, he mentions all three. He mentions all three of them in chapter 13, 1 and 2 as well. Yeah, he does. Yeah, okay. Um, so these are these are examples of gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he says, they're going to cease. Um, and he says, we know in part, and we prophesy in part, and that when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. So notice here, perfect is the opposite of part. Part, partial. In chapter 14, he's going to talk about when they would have the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy in the assembly. He talks about one prophet is prophesying, and there's a revelation that's made known to another prophet. The first one is supposed to sit down, and this second prophet who just got a revelation, he is going to take his turn to speak. If the first prophet had already had that revelation and he could speak it, why did we need to have it revealed to the second prophet? and have the first one be quiet. The fact is, it's clear that one prophet didn't get everything. He got a part, and then there's another part given to another prophet. So the gifts 
these gifts, they were, they were communications from God, God's word, God's will in part, each one getting a part. So it was partial. And when he says that which is in part is going to be done away when that which is perfect. And here in the context, you have to understand perfect is the opposite of partial. And the fact is, throughout the Bible, the word perfect translates words that, that mean complete. We think of perfect as without any sin. And so we immediately think of Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about when Jesus comes again here. He's talking about when the complete as opposed to the partial is come. Well, the partial is partial revelation. And so I really believe that the complete is the completed revelation. And when that comes, the partial, including the, the gift of knowledge, the gift of prophecy, and the gift of tongues would cease. Well, what did we already say? The completed revelation, when the apostles died out, God's will would have been completely revealed, put in writing for posterity, the ability to pass those uh, gifts on in the manner God had prescribed is no longer there. It's no longer needed because God's will has now been completely revealed. And that's what I think 1 Corinthians 13 verses 9 and 10 are talking about. Once that was accomplished, these gifts would cease, which would put a cessation. I don't think there's one date like August 13th to uh, the year 99. I, I suspect, and I don't know this, Joe, I don't know this, Chase. You can tell me I'm completely off base here. But I suspect it might have been that the gifts died out in one place sooner than another. As, as the word of God reached these communities and as the people who had the gifts died out, uh, it would have varied from one place to another. But I think we can probably say somewhere by the middle or late second century that, that they would have been gone. Well, it's a good point to make because... I've heard others come at this. If, if you, I'll just say this, Jeff, have you seen that early church fathers um, as early as the first and second century will say that there yes. was still spiritual yes. gifts? Yeah. yeah. And I think, I think that is a really helpful explanation for what you just, for how, for what you just said for that reason. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if, if there were people who claimed to have gifts who didn't, you know, they're, they're, we have that today. But I do think that um, the fact that the gifts prevailed or the possibility that they prevailed on in the second century may well account for many of the references that we see in second century writings to people who had the gifts. Yes. So, so bottom line, guys, bottom line, if, if I go and I visit a church and, and people are speaking in tongues, Number one, what they're doing is not a real language, and it's not what we see in the Bible, but also they're claiming to have a gift that we no longer have or need today. But there's another aspect of this. Let's take the last five minutes to talk about, and that is the way it is done in churches today is not the way it was supposed to be done when they did use these gifts, including speaking in tongues, in the churches in the first century. So let's talk about that for a minute. Can we do that? You, you, are, you, are you implying that somehow we should like hold back the Holy Spirit that, you know, you, you guys earlier, both of you used the word rules. Um, uh, you know, isn't there just this freedom when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, I can't control myself and, you know, the Spirit is just moving. And how am I supposed to follow rules if the Holy Spirit is just overpowering me in this? 
So 1 Corinthians 14, 30 says, if a revelation be made to another sitting by, let the first keep silence, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be exhorted, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And, and as well, verse 37 of 1 Corinthians 14 if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. Uh, when, when Jeff and Chase earlier used the word rules, uh, that's not their determination. God is saying these are commandments. Paul is saying these are commandments from God. And, and if we're speaking specifically about speaking in tongues, here's verse 27. If any man speaks in a tongue, let it be by two or at the most three, and that in turn, and let one interpret, but if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. So there's several things there. First of all, if I had the gift of tongues in the church at Corinth in the first century, and I came into the assembly, and nobody there that day had the gift of interpretation, what was I supposed to do? Be quiet. We'd just be quiet. But say the three of us each had the gift of tongues, and we came into the assembly in the church at Corinth in the first century. Would it be all right for us to use them if there were an interpreter present? But in what manner? All of us just ready, set, go, and we all simultaneously take off? We'd probably start an age order, but it has to be one at a time. Okay. <laughs> Ascending or descending? <laughs> So, yeah, they, they took turns. Does this sound like an orderly affair? Uh, decently and orderly, yeah, it does sound Yeah, like verse it. 40. What does verse 40 say, Chase? Yeah, but everything is to be done decently and in order. I want you to just think about that, folks. Paul is saying, listen, when you speak in tongues, do things decently and in order. Take turns. Make sure there's somebody ready to, to interpret what you're saying. If they're not, just be quiet. And by the way, no more than two or three of you need to even do this. And the two or three of you that do it, take turns. Let's do this decently in an order. Is that the picture that you see in churches today where people think they're speaking in tongues? I've only been a couple of times where people have claimed to do this, where I was actually physically in the presence of, of, of individuals claiming this. On one of those occasions, this passage was actually read to them, and their response was, well, that's because they were having problems in Corinth. This doesn't apply to all churches. And yet, what verse 33 says, for God is not the God, not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Um, it, so it, it does need to be followed for all the, all the churches it, in the first century. Again, we've already established, I think, firmly that this is no longer in effect now. Yeah. So we got a question. Drew. Go ahead. Uh, no, Drew, Drew just wrote in, and I was about to bring up this passage as well. Um, verse 22 of chapter 14 says, Speaking in tongues, then, is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and, are, and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or believers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? Um, to Joe's point, what he was saying earlier, him as an outsider was confused as to what was going on in that assembly. And so they're already violating that, that part of the passage anyways. But Drew, in reference to these questions, says our uh, tongues are not for believers. 
And I think what Paul's point is, is that that is a miraculous gift given so that people can see the message being confirmed by the messenger. That was the purpose of the tongues. The prophecy that came, the instruction that came through prophecy was for the church, uh, but the tongues was for unbelievers. So um, does that kind of make sense? That's how I would sort yeah, it out in so. my mind. I think so. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a party trick. They weren't supposed to just be doing it just to, you know, for funsies, but this was had a specific purpose. So uh, I think this would really have stepped on the toes of, of the brethren there. And I'll just say that's tying it back to what I said in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. I think you can now understand if churches are given this this really cool tool, they ought to know how to use it. That that should be among the elementary principles of of knowing why you're given these and how to use them. All right, guys. Listen, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for your help today. And for those of you who are listening, um, I hope you'll tune in again next week for our webcast Wednesday at three o'clock. Bye-bye.